everybody is down the patriot wilts. And the patriotic thing for you to do is. Oh. Hello. We want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F-O-U-R, the number is 82 Designs, 482 Designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F-O-U-R, 82 Designs, at F-O-U-R, 82 Designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, go to F-O-U-R, 82 Designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's light years better than our first one. Also, we divide the washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs. Now part of the All Everything Entertainment Podcasting Network. Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right. Here we go. Coming down. Three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, mate, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at FansWorking. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast, and for any ideas that you might have, that's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out, and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Guys, I want to take a second to tell you about All Everything Entertainment. They are your home for the latest breaking news and opinions about sports, wrestling, and entertainment. From jock to geek and everyone in between, they will definitely have something for you. As I'm recording this, they have 10 live weekly podcasts that can be watched daily on Facebook, YouTube, or alleverythingentertainment.com. The replays are available on their Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, or iTunes channels. Their shows run the gamut as they talk about the NFL, NBA, NHL, Football, movies, bi-weekly top 10 countdowns, paranormal activity, wrestling, WWE, AEW, NJPW, UFC, Bellator, and so much more. These guys, they're just like you. They're passionate individuals who love a variety of subjects. And that's why they started this company in May of 2019 to kind of be a one-stop shop for entertainment. On September 11th, 2020, they made arguably their biggest signing by agreeing to terms with yours truly, the Working Fans Podcast. 
I was out of work sick and I was happy to join them as a part of their team. You can find them on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube by searching All Everything Entertainment or go to alleverythingentertainment.com for their full schedule and a full list of their shows. If you like us, you will 100% like them. Thank you. And AJ, we're going to start with the history of the podcast. Do it like where you and Dave kind of cover where we've come from. And then we're going to talk about when I jumped in. And then we're going to lead up to introducing Tim, have him talk about all everything entertainment, and then kind of what he's looking for from us going forward. And it's kind of like a one-year celebration. It's going to be live on YouTube. And then I'm also going to edit the footage down for Thursday's episode. So it's just one more thing we got. Sounds good. Sounds good. And hey, uh, Tim, with all the confusion, it is nice meeting you as well. And thanks for setting us up, man. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, Dave, sure, AJ. We'll... <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's all right. I figure, you know, we I like what's up. I like that all I can see is Dave's mouth. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> phone here. Hold on. Maybe you can. Better? No. Still ugly. <laughs> I was going to say it's better than the view the ladies get sometimes. <laughs> Do you guys want, like, something like this on the bottom as a ticker or, like, wait the YouTube page in there where they can come and follow you? Oh, yeah. I like that ticker at the bottom, definitely. Oh, and we're also going to be live yeah, on cool. All Everything Entertainment's Facebook page, AJ. That's awesome. Step your game up. Yeah. That's what she says to you when she's fucking you from behind. That's good. That, I love that you guys are fucking ruthless like we are. So that, that makes me feel a lot better about, about these situations. Hey. <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the YouTube... You What's the YouTube channel? One of them is hiding in the car right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's my private studio. Leave me alone. Yeah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> Looking like a young Arn Anderson running away from cheeseburgers. It's got to be bacon. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to get some Taco Bell. <laughs> that, is, that, is that all right? Yeah. That was on YouTube at the Working Fan Podcast. Oh, yeah. That's good. And then, and then the one that's scrolling across the bottom. Joe, can uh, Joe, can you see on the bottom to, or on your screen? Can you see if it says comment banners and brand or no? Comment? No, I cannot see that. I can just see follow us All on right, YouTube so you at the Working Fans Podcast. All right, yeah, you and him, you and in the front end. Then I'll uh, teach you or whoever whoever wants to learn this. If you guys might want to do this in the future, I'll teach you how to go through the back end, baby. Yeah, nice. And uh, you can. I just added these banners in what, like five seconds? Like that's bang, bang. So if you guys are talking about topics, boom, five, three, one, boom. You know, you get it done to three, bam, you know, and then just, you know. Oh, geez. Or whatever. No, whatever. Like, I don't care what you guys want to do. God, but this might be a way to do you. special episodes going in the future. Yeah, like if you want to do a live one. Oh, my God. Notifications kill me. I hate doing this kind of shit on my phone. Um, all right, I'm going to get out of here. All you have to do is, uh, when you want me to hit go live, like right now? Go live and Absolutely. then jump out, and I will introduce this. Cool. That's good, brother. All right, guys. I'm going to assume we're live. This is the Working Fans Podcast. We are celebrating. Oh, we're live right now. We are celebrating one year as a podcast. Dave, AJ, if you could start off this talk like we have a couple times before, just talking about the genesis of the podcast, and then get bit to me like when my part comes in. That happened on a conversation me and AJ had at Chili. 
This is how I remember it anyway. Although sure. April Wilson was years before, I think that we did have a similar conversation. But I remember having the conversation like, hey, do you think we can do a podcast? And he said, I think so. And I think I was listening to the uh, Xbox 12360 at the 60 podcast at the time. I saw an advertisement for uh, the Anchor app. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. And then AJ had the wherewithal to at least know that, hey, we're not smart enough to edit anything or anything like that. We should find someone else to do this. And it was through our mutual friend, Joe Scott, who I believe recommended you to ask Joe. He'd definitely be into that. And then I think we started talking, and that's how we got from that point. AJ, that sound about right? Sure. Sounds about right. <laughs> AJ's uh, I, hiding I, from his wife right now, so we'll, we'll forgive him if he doesn't know everything if, that's if, going on. It's cool. If you, hap- if you happen to see her, I wasn't here. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, my we don't know what happened is, yeah, I remember the chilies, definitely. Um, I know we talked about it just the way you said. I believe my exact words were, hey, do you know a stoner that knows how to produce shit? And he said, and I've got the guy for like, you. Baby. <laughs> he said, I got the guy for you. And that's it. Stoner most of the time. No. <laughs> and the guy that brings zero personality to the show, but I try and mold the show. I try and keep us somewhat on track. I remember a tough early thing was we were going with indie wrestling with an edge. And we, oh, yeah. we, oh, ta- yeah. <laughs> we talked so much modern wrestling and high level wrestling that it was almost less indie talk. And that was when I was like, guys, we either got to change the name or we got to change the focus of how we put this out. And then we put together the name. What's that? When we did the indie wrestling, the problem was we had two followers. We had Randy Osga and um, some guy who liked to put porn up on his thing. Oh, God, Jimmy Evans. Yeah, Jimmy Evans. I love cats, too. That's great, man. Yeah, he loved cats and porn, and it was a very weird one-two punch, but he was one of the early ones. And then I think he jumped off the bandwagon when we became working fans, which I still think it's a great name, but how much headache has it given us over the years with just when we're talking to people and they mishear it and it's always, oh, you guys are working man's podcast? And it's like, well, no, it was inspired by that. 90, 90% of, like, the audio drops I asked for. Are okay, up. so I'll fill some space here. I'm not sure who can hear us and who can't. I see Dave's eyes blinking now, so maybe he's back to life. I'm here. Dave Good. Did, did you guys freeze up for a little bit, too? That's just you. Oh, that was weird because I actually could see myself, but you guys were frozen to me. Oh, man, you look like Arn Anderson just getting pulled over. Like, ah, damn, Rick, we're done. (laughs) The horseman, shut it down. (laughs) Oli. Damn it, Rick, put the kamikazes away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're abandoned the horseman. They're dead. (laughs) But I mean. The part was, I wasn't even talking about the drinks. That's what he used to call the jumping bomb angel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, but. We've never lost that edge that the original indie wrestling with an edge had. We have always talked wrestling. We have always put our kind of own spin on it. And then we started the podcast a year ago, right around when AEW kicked off. We started the same day as Arn. 
what has the yeah. last year of podcasting been like for you guys? It's it's a lot more work than I expected I a hobby to be, but it has been endless amounts of fun. Well, the first thing that I learned from doing this is that A, we're much more popular than Iron. B, we're much more entertaining than that schmuck Cody Rhodes. And C, I'm full of shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, since Joe was asking about the podcast, because I'm actually on the podcast, so I'll take care of that. He said, you just relax. <laughs> I'll deal this one. I'm kidding. AJ's busy a lot, so he's not always on as much as we are. But, um, man, it's You're hiding ride, from right? your wife. <laughs> it's a wild ride. Uh, Actually, his wife's uh, yeah, hiding from him, guy. but we're not going to get into that. I mean, we're I don't think she's watching. Like <laughs> Ricky Morton, um, Nikita Koloff, the Von Eric kid. You know, it's, pretty, it's pretty exciting, right? I mean, it's kind of weird that this is almost uh, becoming dorm a little bit. You know, like I just interviewed, uh, we haven't aired it yet, but the Patriot, Dale Will. And I wasn't really particularly nervous for it or anything because we've been through this enough times. Yeah, that actually is going to be airing this same episode. But how weird is it that we used to be so nervous going into uh, into interviews, and now it's just like, who we got? You did some research, right? Oh, we're good then. I remember AJ was throwing up. Yeah. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> the, the most nervous that I ever got for an um, interview, to be honest with you, was probably Nikita Koloff. Yeah, when you get your uh, uh, heroes like that that are legends, that's scary. Like Ricky Morton, I couldn't imagine how you guys did that. It, it wasn't easy. I mean, when you first to somebody who was a, such a major part of your childhood, like uh, um, Ricky Morton, it, it, it's just so hard the first time. Now, we've gotten used to it, and Dave's overcome it because he's talked to some of his Childhood heroes like um, Amber O'Neill and stuff like that, but Amber Nova, you bitch. <laughs> Wait, wasn't Amber? Oh no, April O'Neill from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Got me, Joe. What wasn't April O'Neill, redheaded chick on the? Teenage yeah, Ninja are are you saying he interviewed a cartoon character? <laughs> uh, only late at night. I mean, he Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He has slept Good with a couple cartoon there. characters, but back to the matter at yeah, hand. Just because she couldn't get off her back, just because she couldn't get off her back, doesn't mean she was a turtle. <laughs> now, how right. now? How weird is it that we found out through this podcast that we are three completely different people? We have three completely different sets of strengths and weaknesses, but when we come together, we have put together to some Diet Coke money. <laughs> Oh, man, I was going to take anything with a... I, w I wasn't going to sponsor nothing, but if you want to get Diet Coke, that's cool. <laughs> but I mean... Trying to get that money. Back to what I was saying, like, we're just so different, but somehow we form like Voltron, and we put out a product that has grown in popularity over the time we've put it out. Me, Well, those two, for a little behind the scenes, me and Dave have been uh, best friends for, what, almost 30 years now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like 26, 27, something like that. A little bit older than Dave likes his women, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. I got time to be old hag. If she knows Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, she's too old for Dave. 
The original run. She I could get like one of those either. other That's ones. That's why I'm hiding in the Jeep. April O'Neil, who she ever put over? <laughs> Splinter. Holy shredder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Amber Nova, by by the way, I had an opportunity. I don't know how much of her work you've actually seen. Uh, I know this isn't what we're talking about right now, but I got to see her some of the um, Impact Television Plus. Okay. They're, they do a segment where they have Rise on there. So I've got to see some of her work on Rise from Florida. She's actually not bad in the ring. I mean, she she looks a lot like Jungle Boy, <laughs> but her work in the ring is not that bad. I don't know. I'm not Shout staring. Out to Jack Perry. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not staring at Jungle <laughs> Boy's crotch the same way, but I mean, <laughs> we've gotten kind of off the rails, but guys, we, we're celebrating. You're not in a failing marriage living in a tiny house. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but I've had my I've had my fair share of mishaps this year. There was that one bitch, mm. and you know my dad died yeah. too. But fuck that Shout shit. Shout out to the uh, halfway house though. <laughs> I, I like the fact that instead of doing the shout out to your dad. He did the shout-out to the halfway house. <laughs> well, no, That's Dave awesome. Dave shouted out the halfway house. I brought up my dad kind of second because I was going to bring up my failures this year first, i.e. the halfway house check. And then, mm. I mean, it's it's not really a success that my dad died, but I think the fact that we kept putting out the podcast and it suffered very little because of that. I mean, I think we did pretty good considering – that we've made our rise during COVID. Maybe that's why we've been lucky yeah. enough to get as many guests as we have. But I mean, so guys, what you're saying is thank you, China. No, China's dead, man. Thank you, I don't, China. I don't know what she did. Oh, who'd she oh. ever put over? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. RIP Joni Lauer. <laughs> now, we're on a network now, right? Let's segue, bro. Yeah, oh, yeah. We're on a network, and Tim King is the president of the network, and he's going to buzz in any time right now and kind of tell you a little thing about all everything entertainment. All Wait a minute. Shouldn't he be the king of the network? Um, He should be, but he got us. He's the president of... We're the motherfucking centerpiece. If all everything entertainment was a wrestling belt, we'd be that center plate. No offense to anybody else on the network, but you guys haven't. Yeah, you guys haven't seen what we're putting out. And if Tim wants to come in and put us over at any point, we will gladly welcome. I'm married. I haven't seen anybody putting out. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Both his and Dave's ex-wives will never see this. There he is, the man who just had a baby days ago. He has taken the time out of his schedule you look, you look good. to put us out there and to kind of sit down with us for a minute and celebrate our one year. Tim, how you doing? Tell us what's going on with you. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on your show. I'm uh, pumped to celebrate your one-year anniversary and very excited to have you guys on All Everything Entertainment with us. Now, can you tell us... excited to be on it, to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, can you tell us first kind of how you sought us out and then tell us about All Everything Entertainment? Yeah, of course, man. I uh, saw you guys on Twitter, so I listened, checked you guys out, and I was like, oh, man. They got great wrestling knowledge. I love the 5-3-1. You guys 
cuss like sailors like you do. So that's that's huge. You know that you you fit you fit in with with my strategy right there. You guys are uh, like you know you're loud, abrasive, but you guys are fucking knowledgeable. So that's what I like. If you've got personality and you're knowledgeable, I'm looking to recruit you and bring you on the team. We're looking to grow all everything entertainment um, like crazy. We've been around about 18 months now, the website has, and uh, we have grown exponentially in the process. We just had our best post view day today, over 12,000 views. Wow. Um, another thing to, to celebrate. So, you know, always, always celebrating. Um, huge days at All Everything Entertainment, for sure. But um, I'm, I'm really excited to have you guys on board, like I said. Well, I'm happy to be on board, man. I'm glad you appreciate the swearing. So. <laughs> yeah, because when I yeah, put it up to Dave, Dave just sounds like a fucking moron. <laughs> when I put it up to Dave, Dave's two biggest worries were eventually if we wanted to move on because we do have a goal that we would like to end up on the MLW radio network down the road. But to be a part of a network now and to be invited into something, we are putting our all behind it. And we were just worried, are they going to change us? Are we going to have to do anything different? And you said there would be no problem when the time comes that we got to leave. And you like us doing things the way we do it, which is good because, I mean, I think David, Dave and AJ can attest that we can only really be ourselves. And I think that's our greatest yeah. strength when putting out a show. We talk wrestling, but we are real. And like me, I try and like to get a little arty. I like to include things a little outside of wrestling. AJ worked in the business, so he can bring that insider knowledge. And Dave will get most of our interviews. This is one of the few interviews that I nailed down, but I would say 80% of the time, yeah. Dave is emailing people, chasing them down, doing what needs to be done. I get a lot of the rats, too. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck Joe's talking about. We're happy to be a part of this network. We're going to build this network up, and we're going to whoop MLW that. I don't know what the hell he's talking about trying to make MLW. Why don't we build up and beat Cor Cor Bauer like he's never been beaten? I I'm yeah, quit trying to suck Cor Bauer off right there. <laughs> Absolutely, and and uh, just like I told Joe, I love for you guys to get on MLW. That means you guys have stood out, you know, and got on there. But my my goal is. As you just said, I want to, no disrespect to ML, MLW Network. I want to be bigger than MLW Network because not only do we have the greatest wrestling content around it, all everything entertainment. Now we have about nine wrestling podcasts, and it's not just American podcasts. They're not just WWE podcasts. They're not AEW based. We got yeah. WWE, AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, a shitload of independent wrestling content. Like I would out to say that our independent wrestling contest will will uh, compete with anyone on the on the internet right now. We have we have feature pieces on guys like Warhorse, uh, Benjamin Carter, Dan Hausen, and Sam Adonis, Danny Limelight. We've done interviews with Danny Limelight, Sam Adonis. We have an interview today um, with Travis Titan on uh, next Tuesday. Uh, Gary from the Mainline he he covers that. He locked down guys. He went to Warrior Wrestling the last three weekends. Nice. Um, fantastic. Love Warrior Wrestling out here in Chicago. They put on three amazing shows back to back to back. They were actually the first promotion to come back from the COVID 
And they did it on the football field. They faced everyone out 15 yards and put on a fucking awesome show. And I, it, yeah, I love what Warrior Wrestling is doing right now. And, yeah, and to be honest with you, some people will hear the names like Sam Adonis, Four Horse, stuff of that nature, and they'll say, oh, these guys are the future of wrestling. I love bullshit on that. Those guys are the present of wrestling. Those guys are the guys who are going out there every night, selling their soul, beating their asses in the ring, and taking names at the same time. And they deserve the credit that they deserve, that they're getting right now, and even more. Screw what they're doing in the WWE. I got no problem with people that enjoy watching sports entertainment. But God damn it, I grew up on wrestling on this pussy shit that they call sports entertainment. And I will stick by the strong style that they're doing in places like Warrior, that they're doing in... Um, I, I, I just get fired up and I get excited. And God damn it, that's what we need in this country. I feel like he's uh, saying the good pussies in <laughs> Chicago. I love, I love the passion coming from you right now. I fucking love the passion, man. And you're right. These guys go out there every single night and bust their ass. War Horses defended the Independent Wrestling Championship like 40 fucking times all over the country and in other, and, and in other countries over the past year and a half. Yeah. Or the past year since he won it. No, it's been like a year and a half now since he took it off of uh, Orange Cassidy. Like, fucking <laughs> crazy, crazy shit, dude. These guys are workhorses. And, and then, I want and to grow as they grow. And uh, See, I got to say, War Horse reminds me a lot of Ric Flair in the old days. Because he's able to go to whatever promotion that he goes to. Calm down, Meltzer. He's able to match styles and work with whoever the top wrestlers are. And it reminds me a lot of the old territory days, being able to actually function, work, and and keep high work rate compared to these guys that are in the WWE and places like that. You work with the same talent every week. You don't sharpen yourself. You don't have to put anybody else over. And I'll take four holes any day of the week. Well, he looks fantastic against Cody on AEW television. He did yeah. look good there. But uh, he was just at Synergy this past Saturday. We had a guy there, uh, Frank Sarney, uh, from the Larry of Pro Wrestling. He was he was there. He covered, he covered the event. You can check out the article on our website. Uh, War defended his independent wrestling title in the co-main event. And I mean, he was just in Chicago. Now he travels all the way up to Jersey. I mean, I can talk about this all day long. And this is why diverse shows like what you guys bring. And now we got our regularly scheduled hostilities, our flagship show, Wednesday Night War. We have the main line. We have so many good fucking wrestling shows that are diverse. And we got shows over in the UK, uh, Scotland. But it's not just wrestling on all everything entertainment. No, it's across pollination. Yeah, we have great sports content. We have great entertainment content. Whiskey Cinema plus Sunday Night is fucking hilarious, man. These guys dress up, they get all into it, and we have 26 different shows. We have shows about paranormal, we have true crime shows. We right now are branching out. We have so much diversity within the wrestling community and within sports and entertainment that we will blow up. One year from now, we will be having this conversation. I said we did 12,000 posts today on the site. I guarantee one year from now, 25,000 minimum at this exact time. And we are going to exponentially grow together. I'm at, I actually have a goal myself to actually hit multiple shows. Me and Dave are going to have a casting match. Where I'm going to kill him. Then I'm <laughs> going to go on the paranormal show where we actually raise his spirit and talk to him. And then I'm going to get arrested and put on the true crime show all in one week. 
I'm 100% going to get in on that cannabis legalization show whenever it happens. But I got to ask you. The You're co- already on it. <laughs> it. Not on YouTube. We're, we're keeping it clean for the money people. But I got to ask you, the collective mm-hmm. is coming to Chicago, if I'm correct, right? Or it's coming to the Illinois area. How are you feeling about getting that? event block that was meant for wrestlemania weekend yeah man that's gonna that's gonna be awesome um i i always say i always try to get to as many shows as i can uh me and melissa i call her the first lady of all everything entertainment uh we like to go to as many shows as, as we can get out there obviously she just had the baby um so we couldn't do any warrior because the week before the week of and the week after um aaw is coming up we're not gonna be able to get to that uh I'll, I'm going to try to get the collective for sure. If not, you know, well, Gary's going to be there either way. Uh, Gary hosts the main line. He is all about the independent wrestling life. So he'll be there either way. But uh, the independent wrestling scene in Chicago is the absolute best in the country. Yeah, we actually did a show recently about the best wrestling cities. And Chicago took the top of the charts because no matter what federation it is, what year it is, that crowd is always off the hook. Wrestlers talk yeah. endlessly about how the Chicago area, you get just such feedback. What is it like to be from that area and be part of that crowd? Oh, man, it's fantastic. It is fantastic. I love going to shows for, you know, talk about the, I'm going to talk about like going to like Raw and SmackDown pay-per-view shows. The CM Punk, the CM Punk chant that just, Resonated through the crowd. I mean, it was years after. They're yeah. still streaming CM Punk, and uh, not only that, but then I, I grew up in Berwyn. I'm pretty. I was pretty upset that I didn't realize there was so much independent wrestling right there in that city, like Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, and all these guys mm-hmm. are in, on the independent circuit. They were like right there in this city. I moved out when I was 12. I didn't get into the independent scene until I was like 27, 28. I'm 35 now, so I could have had like all this fucking crime wrestling right in front of me, and I missing i'm so pissed about it but the the fans the chicago fans are wild dude yeah. they are they are wild they're they are one of a kind um, they're a certain breed and they're fucking just passionate awesome people now um I, there's a lot of wrestling fans that i dislike but it's not the the independent the independent wrestling crowd it's the fucking marks on twitter who piss me the fuck off so he, social media in general can be so toxic anyway right you know, dude. Yeah, you you, key, keyboard they, they warriors just to go fuck with you. You know what I mean? Because fucking people are crazy now. But yeah. And like you were saying earlier, or somebody was saying earlier, the independents now yeah. are like the new territory system, and it's cool to see that some kind of new system is rising up underneath the majors. No, yeah, it's fantastic, and these guys well, are well, the pro- their names. What, what were you saying, AJ? Yeah, the problem with the internet is that it enables these. No, I was just saying the problem with the internet is, is you get these trolls out there that are five foot three with a club foot who's never done anything athletic in their life that all of a sudden are fucking wrestling geniuses that want to troll every freaking independent wrestler on the planet. They give them a hard time instead of just getting out there and supporting the product and realizing that you can like this, I can like that. Dave can like whatever the hell Carney shit he's into this week. Um, Joe can like what he likes to have. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm right or you're right or he's right. 
it's a mixed bag, so we get to go out there and enjoy what we enjoy on the show. So yeah. screw the troll. Hey, if you disagree with me, you're a piece of shit. And this is kind of one a, thing. Yeah, I don't. I, I never. I never understood why people can't like everything. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest with you. I, I I love the WWE. You know, they they piss me off a lot. Sure. So I call it. I, I call myself the best fan of the world because I can fucking see it right down the middle. I'll tell you if something fucking stupid and it sucks. But I also am going to be the first fucking person to tell you they did a really good job booking that. Give them yeah. a chance. Like, what the fuck? Oh, absolutely. They, they just brought this out. How the fuck are you going to sit here and shit on something that they just brought out? So, but I I'll did. give it to you either way. Well, look at what they... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, AJ. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, look at what they did this weekend with um, Clash of Champions. They actually pulled together tremendously with Clash Champions. What they're doing right now with Roman Reigns is absolutely amazing. Uh, they are really making Roman Reigns fresh, and the, whoever is writing this and booking this mm-hmm. is a freaking genius right now. It, it's coming off completely different than everything else, too. Like, mm-hmm. it's funny. Like, I love my AEW and NXT right now as far as, like, mainstream wrestling goes. But Roman, if you just put in a bubble when Roman and Paul are doing on SmackDown, like, that's one of my favorite angles going right now. I love the way that's going. Yeah, man. Let me tell you. I said after the match, and I've been all about it. Guys, I'm going to be right, right back. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good, DJ. Yeah, man, I've always been a, I've always been a Roman Reigns guy. Somebody's um, at the window. He's really, really good in the ring. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, AJ, don't you take that outside, brother? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be. <laughs> I, I thought we were going to get an exclusive. There he goes. Fuck oh, you! Man. I'm Fuck moving out! Fucking lawnmower keeps coming. I have to come in the house and he comes back. I heard it. I was going to ask earlier, I but. Hey, let's take a quick interlude. And Tim, do you have any questions for us? Because we've kind of been guiding the conversation. We've been asking anything. What do you want to know from us? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've listened to a lot of the show, but obviously AJ likes old school wrestling. So I heard the Nikita talk earlier. So who are your. Who, who are your your top five wrestlers of all time? Like, what are your passions in wrestling right now? All right. I'll take this one, Joe. I, I'm always ready to go with this. Uh, top five for me, Bret Hart and HBK, that era. Uh, like, right after the Hogan era, like, Bret Hart and Sean really kind of brought me back into wrestling. Uh, Flair, the Flair and Funk stuff from 89 is, like, one of my favorite all-time stuff in wrestling. And then I would have to say, kind of tag team, like Steiner Brothers are kind of what we count as one. I mean, I know Lisa Doom and the Rock Elementary, they're always the top of the team, but I was a Steiner Brothers guy. When Scott was throwing that Frankenstein or two busting people out of their boots, love that. And then uh, number five, I've really started, you can ask me this at different times, it's going to be a little mm-hmm. different, but Dusty Rhodes, I've really gotten into the old okay. with the Dusty. So you're more of a NWA, WCW guy? Probably, mostly, but it's funny because I grew up uh, Rowdy Piper back in the coconut and Jimmy Smith's head. That's my earliest memory of wrestling. And, How old are you? Uh, I'm 43. No way. Yeah, I, oh, I, thought, I thought you were like my age, like 35. All right. All right, so you're a little older. Cool. Yeah. That's how a lot of the ladies react, too. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. 
They must have asked for an ID. That's one of their damn business. You know? <laughs> All right. So for me, All right. uh, I'm into Minoru Suzuki. I'm really into that New Japan style right now. I'm always going to be a Chris Benoit guy. And we've had this come up a couple times on the podcast about our our appreciation of his career versus what happened those last few days of his life. I'm infatuated with Jushin Thunder Liger. Since I first saw him, I couldn't get over the costume. And then I've seen him a few times in the last couple of years wrestle. And he is just an attribute to wrestling. I was a Hogan fan growing up. I've struggled with that over the years based on the situations that have happened with him publicly and just realizing that he's kind of a shitty wrestler when you get down to it. I've actually spent all of today watching all Japan 80s wrestling. So I'm going to give it up to Jumbo Sharuda. I've been watching a lot of his stuff today. And I'm going to assume that's up to four people. I'm going to give the last spot to... I I watch a whole lot of different stuff, but I'm going to say FTR right now. They've been doing something in All Elite that I've been waiting for them to really hit their mark. I feel like no matter how good they're presented, we haven't seen them 100% of what they could do. And I believe once they really enter that four horsemen, that new four horsemen stable, that could be the thing that puts them into the next stratosphere. AJ, while you were gone, Tim asked us a question of kind of the top five favorite things that we're into in wrestling right now. We gave our rundown. So what are five well, things that... I thought it was all time. So how you- yeah, all time. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean... Well, I think number one. I think number. I think number one has to be the Black Scorpion. Um, I thought it was going to be right, goddamn here, here, here. George Hackenschmidt. No, God, oh no, I don't go back that far. I mean, gorgeous George is incredible. The way he used to throw those bobby pins to us, absolutely incredible. Um, they were gold, you know. Um, but probably my favorite things that are going on currently or ever. I think that the Funkin' Flair in the late 80s uh, is one of my all-time favorites. The begin To me, that's the first I saw of what we call hardcore wrestling. Between a bag over the head and trying to pile drive them through a table. To me, that's the cusp in the beginning of hardcore wrestling. Uh, I love, love, as you guys know, I love Terry Funk. I think that he's one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. And what he would do and give to an organization with his body and with um, the way he was working with young talent. Absolutely incredible. So to me, that's one of the best gimmicks. I don't know how many you're listing off here, but I'll give you one more real quick. Um, I think that another one that's very important to our generation and to our um, what is going on in the whole world of wrestling right now is actually the AEW itself. I know it's not an angle, but the way that they started it with all in and stuff of that nature and being able to grow it from the independence grassroots and getting 10,000 people to show up to the arena and being able to sell out and being able to really drive from the product by YouTube and 
by um, putting out these specials was absolutely incredible. And I know it's not really an angle. It has to be one of the most that has happened in the last 20 years. And, you, and you're looking for five of them? Five, Is yeah. Is that what I saw there, King Kong? The five count? Oh, yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, another one is the Austin Error. I think that him and um, Brad Hart, the original feud, is one of the biggest moments of all time, culminating, obviously, the WrestleMania match with him bleeding out on the mat. I don't think if we have that match with him there and Shamrock as a referee and that working the way it is, I don't think we end up with going into the attitude error and with the Stone Cold error being quite what it was. And the other one's got to be the NWO. Mm-hmm. I think the NWO and what they mentioned absolutely phenomenal. And I think that Hogan turning a fast to the beach and heading the NWO has to be one of those big moments. And then the other thing is wrestling shows. You can pick whichever one you want. But the fact of the matter is, is that every year they put on a monster show for a couple of days and they put on a product that is second to none. And I think that that is one of the things that um, engages wrestling fans around the world and helps to grow the product. Dude, so I want to hit on a couple of things that you just said. Well, first of all, I was at that WrestleMania 13 show with my grandpa. Uh, Bret Hart and Stone Cold fought right by us. Bret Hart actually whacked my grandpa on the shoulder and I was throwing a on fucking you talk about a memory guy's got goosebumps. My grandpa passed when I was like sixteen. So like if ever I want to see him, I'll fucking put the WWE network on, I'll fast forward to that particular spot like boom, dude. So what I need to know is did your grandfather sell it? He did. You see he's like oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was freaking, I was I laugh every time I see it, I'm like, ha ah. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, you were at Mania 13. Mm-hmm. Me and Aiden were actually at Mania 14 in Boston. So no shit. Awesome, yeah. dude. Yeah. So that was uh, Steve Austin against TPK. Yeah. Yeah, that's fabulous. So and the other thing is, I, I want to ask you because you hit on Austin and you hit on Hogan. So to me, those are the two greatest wrestlers of all time, solely because of the industry. You can say what you want about Hogan in the ring, uh, punch. Body slam, leg, uh, big boot, over, whatever. But dude pulled up. Dude told the story. The dude was great on the promo. And what he did, all right, what he did by turning, being the third man, you actually be- made you actually believed back then that it could have been coming from W or WWE because you had Hogan, the WWE guy. You had Nash with the Diesel. You had uh, Scott Hall. So you could have actually believed that. So what Hogan did with NWO the way kick the shit out of WWE in the ratings until Austin then and did his thing. Like, I just watched the first SmackDown of the network last night. I needed something to keep me up at like 30 in the morning while I was working, so I put shit on in the background. The pop that Austin got when they showed the film of him uh, saving Stephanie from the black wedding with the fucking Undertaker. Dude, you it was just a SmackDown, but that pop was like 70,000 at WrestleMania. So, who three of you can answer this, and then um, I'm going to pull up a couple comments. But who is the greatest wrestler of all time to you guys, and who is more influential, Stone Cold or Hulk Hogan? And you know, and go around. I'll start it off. I'll say, I mean, as far as like in the ring, I mean, even Stone Cold at that time wasn't exactly a technician. But Shout out I to Mike say, Bennett. Uh, Stone Cold was the better in the ring. Yeah, just saw it, 
What's that? Now Mike Bennett down below is commenting on this. Oh, yeah, no, I, um, I Stone Cold better in the ring. You know, it's funny. Stone Cold, that run, I don't think there was a better run, but prolonged. There's never been a better prolonged run in the industry than Hogan as a babyface. And then again, he redoes it as a heel all over again later on. So, you know, overall, I would have to say Hogan is going to take it as far as I'm concerned. Well, Austin also never learned how to pose the way that Hogan could. You never really <laughs> saw the double bicep. You never all got right. the real flex there. But um, Hogan definitely was able to develop as a wrestler. And you got to remember, he started off as a strong heel. That actually went tremendous for him. Then he evolved into Hulkamania, which went over huge for him. And then evolved again back into a heel and a completely different heel than he was in his first heel run. So it's absolutely tremendous what Hogan was able to do over a 25-year span compared to, unfortunately, Steve Austin really only having a four-year run. Hey, what about when Cliff Burton stole his original job, though? He was supposed to be the bassist for Metallica. I'm sorry. (laughs) That joke went over like me hitting on a girl on the first date. That shit was dead on arrival. (laughs) You you, you can find that joke in a halfway house in Voluntown. Oh, man, Um, they don't have halfway houses in Voluntown. They've just got... Hanging trees, I guess. I don't. I don't know. They're back. They're behind oh, the times oh. out there. Yeah. Oh, My all-time favorite wrestler, I gotta say, is ah, oh, God, Ric Flair. He was good on the mic. He was good on the ring. And what was that second question? I don't remember it. Uh, we already talked about the second question. That was Austin. <laughs> oh, Austin and Hogan. Joke about. I gotta say that Joe, you don't have to answer that one. I gotta say that. Question for you, because you said, and you you can go ahead and answer it, but then after that, tell me AEW for who would you want in the four horsemen group? That's easily got to be FTR. You got to do Sean Spears, and MJF's got to be the flair of that group. I don't see unless you bring in Eli Drake. There's no other centerpiece that makes sense in that group to me. Who do you see in that group going? And why? How do you do? You feel that Sean Spears could be the Paul Roma of that group? <laughs> he, yeah, he's obviously Spears could only be there if they do five guys. He's yeah. obviously not the ideal. Pick, Sean Spears isn't even the best wrestler in his house. But he started <laughs> off with Tully. So if you have Sean, like. You've got Tully with FTR now. So if you bring in Sean Spears and kind of make that a group and then make MJF take over as a mouthpiece, I think that could compete with the mid-level horsemen of the day. I don't know who would be a top-level horseman. You would have to switch out Sean Spears for uh, Will Hobbs. I don't know. You would have to get some kind of up-and-comer that you wouldn't see in that role. That would just blow people's minds. No. Why not? Why not Cody Hangman or both of them or one of them is the, the weird. Yeah. Do, do you think that's I mean, what that dark hair is about right now? 
Tim, Tim, you got to stop using logic. You're not going to get anywhere with this, sir. I, oh, okay. I do want to say it's like that. It's like that with him, huh? When you mentioned <laughs> when Joe mentioned Will Hobbs, I think you were probably thinking of like an enforcer muscle. And if we're gonna go with a uh, enforcer muscle, I'm blanking out on the name, but MJF bodyguard. Wardlow. Wardlow. Wardlow? Yeah. Ooh. I see, I just didn't see him guy. in it. I think he's been lucky enough to be MJF's guy at the moment. John right, well, Suggs is asking and answering his own I, questions. A couple of these yeah, <laughs> All right, so uh, a couple other comments. Obviously, M- Michael Bennett, he said uh, he went to WrestleMania in New York. And that's fucking awesome, dude. Um, congrats on that. Uh, John Suggs, he's a, he had a show last night called the Retro Wrestling Podcast, where they talked about their top 10 singles wrestlers, or wrestlers of all time. The one David Chandler, the host, had Tully Blanchard is his best wrestler of all time. So I found perplexing, but wow. uh, but John Trump's <laughs> a huge wrestling guy too. So he's all over Harley Race. Harley Race. Uh, where do you guys feel that Harley should be? And then he asked the question: Do you know who brought over the Road Warriors, Hogan and Flair? And he said it was Vern Gagne. Uh, I was gonna say Vern so Gagne because I already saw the answer. Style, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. First of all, first of all, if you don't mind, um, first off, um, Burn Gagne was a piece of trash. Um, <laughs> the man's dead. Don't disgrace the, the his said, name. The man, 50, the, the man spent fifty years putting himself over all kinds of talent. Um, <laughs> he took way, out a dude in a nursing uh, home. He'll no, take you out as a worked. ghost. I'm sorry. Uh, but let's go after Harley Race here. Harley Race, to me, has got to be in the top five of all. You talk about a territory champion who could have a match with anybody. First of all, anybody who in the ring and tells Andre the Giant you're going up for a suplex, and nobody can question it. It's got to be one of the toughest human beings on the planet. Secondly, like I said, he works with everyone. Yeah. He was similar to Flair in the fact that he could have a great match with a wet napkin, for Christ's sake. Watch you look like a world-class athlete. Watch those old Hogan Harley Race matches, the Saturday Night Main Event days, where Race, even though he's older, past the prime, is bumping his ass off for Hogan. It looks like a million bucks. Hey, Dave, how do you like Starcade 83? The man... Okay, that sucked. <laughs> that sucked? <laughs> Fuck and, and you. Fuck you. You're wrong. I hate to start swearing no. this late in the podcast, but Tim, let him know he's wrong. Starcade 83 is an amazing I, piece of art. I love Flair, but watch that match. It doesn't hold up. And all over the place like he's drunk or something. Okay, it's not like I didn't ask you how Gene Kaniski was. Fuck Gene Kaniski. R.I.P. Greatest referee of all time. Gene Kaneski. This is the greatest piece of shit of all time. As a shoot, AJ texted me that match. You were right. Gene Kaneski fucked up the match. He did fuck up the match. He texted you back in 83. What were you guys, like five? No, you guys had to be ten by that point. No. Uh, No. I was seven. Yeah. I was going to be seven, but yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, Tommy Young only gets more votes for the greatest referee because he gives the best hand jobs. Secondly, freaking that card from top, if you want the best match on that card, 
pull yourself up, wash yourself some dog, dog color mat between Greg Valentine and freaking Ralph Piper and strap it on because that's going to be one of the best things you've ever seen. Those two beat the living hell out of one another and it makes Starcade better than WrestleMania. I do want to say, I see in the comments, no love for Goldust. Absolutely got all kinds of love for Goldust, all right? Especially Dustin Rhodes right now is still performing just as good as anybody at his age. If not better. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that pay-per-view, which we all kind of agreed, didn't really hit as well as we would have liked. Dustin, just giving a simple interview, how he was so excited to get a set of TNT title, was like one of my highlights on that pay-per-view. This old-school promo, I don't know, I'm very, very happy to say Dustin's one of my low-key favorites. I don't know if he'd make my top five, but he's a top 10, top 15 all-time guy. Speaking of doing this, I not see my face so well. Because I have to start driving towards home so I don't get beat up. You're being driving away from home. <laughs> All right, guys. So we should no, probably. No, no, my wife drives me away from home. <laughs> All right. So we should probably start winding this up so AJ can get home safely. But we, I think we've kind of encapsulated our last year together. And AJ, Dave, I don't always make it easy on you guys. I will forget shit. I. We come together, we make the thing happen, and Tim, we just want to help you big build this thing bigger than it was when we got here. So we want to thank you for coming on tonight, especially so soon after having a baby, and thank you for having us on, and we only hope that we can knock this thing out of the park for you. Now, wait a minute. I want to put out an invitation, too, because quite frankly, I might have enjoyed talking to you, which... Most of the time, I don't like talking to other people because they're morons. <laughs> so anytime you want to come on the pod and talk wrestling or yeah. any anytime you want us on any other pod, you just let us know. We'll be there for you. I'm concerned. This is a family that's growing together. We're going to do whatever we can to help um, the whole, uh, what look for, the whole conglomerate actually grow. So we're, we'll be there to work. Dude. I love you guys. I love the attitude. I'd love to come on your show. I can start wrestling with you guys all fucking day long uh, and have some really, really good engaging conversations. Josh DeBoer, he has three shows for us, including our Wednesday Night War show, where he watches like, me and AEW along with mm-hmm. Anthony DiSalvatore, who is fucking crazy, man. The guy screams. He goes <laughs> nuts, dude. He marks out. It's fucking a great show. And then regularly scheduled hostilities, our original wrestling show that we had on the network. He'd love to have you guys on there anytime. And dude, like you said, one big wrestling family, one big all everything family. Uh, Joe hit it on the head earlier. It's all about individuality. It's all about you guys growing, helping us grow, us all growing together and fucking doing this. Josh has been with us for like six months now. He was the original podcast we recruited. The first, the first question he asked me was, what's the catch? I said, there's no fucking catch. And he's been with me growing this thing for six months now, 26 podcasts later. But I want to come and stop wrestling with you guys, and we need to make that happen very soon. 100%. We want to do this more often. We'd like to get in on more live shows. We're, we're kind of growing our brand as we go. Like We've just started growing better on YouTube, putting up daily videos, just this week, just today, we started dropping a bonus episode each week, Working Fans Presents, where we just produce, we bring you an extra episode of something that we enjoy. 
And this week we started with the Tape Trader's Guide to Pro Wrestling. My buddy J.D. Sloan down at WrestleTopia, it's his podcast, and I just wanted to bring it to a bigger audience. So, Tim, thanks for coming on tonight, and we hope to do this again real soon. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to uh, celebrate your one-year anniversary with you guys. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. It's the Patriot, Dell Wilkes. And you talk about being patriotic. The patriotic thing you can do is tune into the Working Fans Podcast and tell them the Patriot sent you. All right, everybody, it's the Working Fans Podcast with the man they call Dave. Today I got a special guest, a guy who started off in the AWA as the Trooper. He's been to WCW, WWE, All Japan, and really anywhere you can think of. He's mostly known as the Patriot. I'm happy as hell to have him on today, though. The Patriot, Del Wilkes, ladies and gentlemen. Del, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. It's great to have you on. You know, for people who don't know, before you got into pro wrestling, too, you had a pretty good college football career? I did. I, uh, I was very fortunate. I've been in Columbia, South Carolina my whole life, born and raised. And when you live in Columbia, South Carolina, you really don't have a choice. It's your a University of South Carolina Gamecock fan. I uh, always dreamed of playing there one day. I went to games as a kid with my grandparents and my dad and my dad's brothers. And so I had watched the Gamecock play my whole life. I was fortunate that. I had an opportunity to go play college football basically anywhere I wanted to go, but I decided to stay home and play for the Gamecocks and had a very good career there. I kept it off in 1984, my senior year, one of the best teams in school history, the most valuable player on that team, captain of that team, and uh, only one of four consensus All-Americans, first team consensus All-Americans in school history. That's awesome, man. So you were a great athlete before you got into pro wrestling, which is if I know my history, is probably one of the reasons why Vern Gagne was probably interested in you because he had a thing where he liked guys with legit backgrounds. And how how was the transition? How did you end up in AWA? Well, I, I knew that I was going to take the career in pro wrestling whenever my football days were over. I was brother had an NFL career, but that didn't happen. I was I signed with the Buccaneers out of Carolina. And then they traded me to the Falcons in, uh, in 85. I signed with the Bucks. They traded me to the Falcons in 86. And the Falcons released me prior to the start of the season. So I came back to Columbia. And there was a school here in town that was owned and operated by the fabulous Moolah. And that was So I paid my money and went through the training process there. It was more geared for girls. There'd never, really, there'd never been a guy come out of there that had any kind of career. So I got some basic training there. And uh, she ran a, a show here in Columbia. And she had water on the show, and water was working for Vern at the time. And he water had a permanent residence in Charlotte. And he had come home for a few weeks. He left Minneapolis, came home for a few weeks, and worked that show. And he saw me, met me, and went back and told Vern about me. And just a few months later, I was on my way to Minneapolis working for Vern in the AWA. Now, how was it working for Vern? I enjoyed working for Vern. I like Vern. I'm, I'm very appreciative of Vern and Greg. Vern had a reputation that a lot of people did not like. I've always been the kind of person to judge someone based on how they treat me and the way they handle me. And Vern was good to me. He gave me my first big break, my first opportunity. The unfortunate part about it was the AWA, which at one time was maybe one of the greatest territories ever, was no longer that way. It was a dying company. They were fighting hard just to hold on. They had the, the one good thing they had was the ESPN deal where they were on ESPN from 4 to 5 o'clock, Monday through Friday. But at this point, it was basically just a TV company. Every now and then, they're doing a spot show somewhere. 
But for the most part, it was just TV, and that was it. And they, they were trying to hang on. They were trying to find somebody and come in there and drop a bunch of cash in it that would help make them viable again. But they just never found that investor and eventually, you know, went belly up uh, and went out of business. But it was a good start for me. It got me on TV for uh, five days a week uh, on ESPN. Yeah, and you, uh, I think, are one of the last ever tag team champs with DJ Peterson. Yeah, DJ um, and I were the last big champ uh, there. And I think we had worked the Destruction Crew way more than Mike is for the belt. Yes. And, and won those belts. But it wasn't long after that that the company just, they just went belly up as I did. And so it was time to move on. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I, you know, I was probably in my teens around this time, early teens. And I ended up, I saw you next as in the Global Wrestling Federation as the Patriot. And the Global Wrestling Federation, for people who don't know, they had a tremendous amount of talent, like in the early tapings. And I mean, Mick Foley, I think, was in there. I saw as Cactus Jack. And you were like, I want to say you were the initial GWF heavyweight champion. And I, you know, as a kid, I recognized that physique and the way you talked. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I know this guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, but what was that like working for Global at that time? You got to still be on ESPN, which must have been nice. Yeah, well, yeah. It was the same time spot on ESPN, so that was good. It was fun to be a part of an upstart company. We had hoped that we could compete with WWF, as they were then called, and WCW. But as you mentioned, we had a lot of good young talent there. Myself, Marcus Backel, who was working as a handsome stranger. John Waltman, who was working as a lightning kid. And mixed with some veteran talent. Uh, Bill Lee, Stan Lane, guys like that, Eddie Gilbert, Al Perez. So we really thought we were on to something special, and it was fun, it was exciting, it was new. We were ready to take on the world. And so uh, it was great being a part of it in the early stages. The next time I saw you was WCW, but you might have been that to All Japan already that time. Would that be right? I was working for Global, and I signed a contract with them. It paid me a weekly guarantee, and then it paid me so much every night I worked. And uh, so it was a neat little deal, but I had, I had gone to Japan to work for Baba. Uh, I think it was the late 80s, and I'd gone as the trooper, and uh, it just wasn't a very good tour. It didn't go well for me, and I just wasn't prepared for the style of matches and what they did. So I never thought I would go back. I felt like I'd blown my chance. But they, um, after I gained more experience and been in the Global Wrestling Federation for a while, I just got better. I was more seasoned. I worked better. I was better in the ring. Baba offered an invitation to me to come back. And uh, I went to Bill Levy and Bonnie Blackstone and, and Joe Petticino that were running global. And I said, guys, I hate to do this, but uh, I need to go. I've got an opportunity to go work for Baba, and I cannot turn this down. And they were very understanding. They were very supportive, and, and they were behind me 100%. So I left with their blessings, and I went and worked a couple of years for Baba. And then... That's uh, after those couple of years, that's when I ended up in Dutch. You had been there prior once before. It was, uh, you know, being from South Carolina, I met a culturally big difference. Was that some adjustment or was that something you embraced? How was that? Being weird. Uh, in Japan, uh, just the culture, oh, the food, you know, was it was it tough for you or was that something you hear people say sometimes people love it, sometimes it's challenging? Well, it was definitely different. Sure. Um, and at first it was a tough adjustment, but I was lucky that I was uh, sharing the bus with a good group of American wrestlers and one of them, he and I became quick friends and actually became best friends, one of the greatest friends I've ever had in Doug Furness. So Doug, Doug showed me the ropes. Doug could follow me and uh, I'll show you what to do, what not to do, where to eat, where not to eat. I'll, uh, I'll sort of, you know, show you around. And uh, Doug had been going there for several years at that point. So 
With Doug's help, I, uh, I adjusted pretty quickly. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. He was a tremendous athlete, too. I remember uh, the drop kick for a guy who was, like, so jacked up his size that he could hit, too. Outstanding. I'll, take, I'll tell you this, and I've, I've always said this, and I'll go to my grave saying this. I've been around some great athletes in college football, in the NFL, in pro wrestling. I was fortunate to block for a Heisman Trophy winner in South Carolina, George Rogers. But the greatest athlete I've ever been around Doug Curtis, by far, close. Um, phenomenal athlete. Yeah, that's saying something. Obviously, working AWA early days and then GWF having a good TV deal. Getting being a wrestler early on in that TV experience must have helped you, I imagine, when you got to WCW too. Then, oh yeah, it, it has helped to be on TV, and you've already been exposed to a nationwide audience, and maybe at that time with ESPN, probably even a worldwide audience. Because I know that was the started going globally and. I was accustomed to, you know, being on TV, and I, uh, I ended up in WCW through my friendship with Eric Bischoff and uh, Greg Gagne, because when I was in the AWA, Eric was our TV announcer, and at this time he was running WCW, and Greg Gagne, uh, who I got to know very well and become good friends with in the AWA, was one of the bookers in WCW. They were booking by committee then, and Greg was on that committee, so my relationship with those two guys it's what landed me in WCW. Now, you ended up being tag team champions there with uh, Marcus Bagwell. You obviously worked with him a little bit in Global. How was your relationship with Marcus? How was he to work with? It was good. I've known Marcus since the GWF days when he was working as a handsome stranger. And when I got to WCW, they were still putting a great emphasis uh, initially when I got there on tag team wrestling. And they had some great tag teams there. They had pretty wonderful Paul Roma and Paul Orndorff. They had the Nasty Boys. They had Harlem Heat and some other tag teams. And so Greg came to me, Greg Gagne, that is, with the idea of putting Bagwell and myself together. And, and I was good with it. I liked Marcus. Uh, everything about Marcus, he's a pro. He's a pro's pro. He was dedicated to the business. He worked hard in the gym. He made sure he looked good. He worked hard on his craft, being good in the ring and being good on the mic. And uh, so, I, I, you know, it was a good fit. Got along well together, and we ended up winning the belts there twice. So, initially, my time in WCW was good. Now, it didn't end up that way, but to start with, it was it was good to be there for about a year, probably. Oh, I never, I mean, if you don't mind talking, I never heard about how you ended leaving WCW. That was actually going to be my next question. I just, I never heard that story. Well, they ended up. And, and it was a big coup. They ended up signing Hogan away from Vince yes. in the WWF, and that's a big deal, a very big deal at that point in time. Uh, the biggest star uh, pro wrestling had ever seen, Hulk Hogan, is coming to work for WCW. And then they brought in other guys. They brought in Savage and Duggan, and they were bringing in a lot of other guys' beefcake after they brought Hogan in. Once they got Hogan, the floodgate sort of opened them. All, a lot of the other WWF guys came in. And I understand you've got the biggest star on the planet in your company. The focus should be on him, and rightfully so. But the focus soon became not just Hogan, but the friends of Hogan. Mm -hmm. If you were in that Hogan clique, then you were in programs that were important. If you were in that Hogan clique, you were used. If you weren't part of that Hogan clique, then you were sort of put on the back burner. And that's what happened to Marcus and I. Listen. That's what happened to Austin. I was. Um, uh, you took uh, the we words right out of my mouth, Dale. I, I was going to say that after you were done talking. It wasn't just you. I remember that time period as a fan thinking, why has Steve Austin moved down that card? But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, anybody that, that, that could, anybody that had one eye could see what a talent Steve was. 
and I'll never forget it. We were in, uh, we would go to Disney. We would go to uh, Disney uh, in Orlando and film our syndicated shows at MGM Studio, Universal Studios, and we'd go down there every few months and spend about three or four days just taking stuff and putting it in the can for the syndicated shows. And uh, I'll never forget. We're at the hotel, and Austin came by the room and said, he said, dude, you won't believe what just happened. He goes, but I just got fired. He said, basically, Eric told me that there are a thousand guys like me out there. There's a bunch of blonde-headed guys with black trunks and black boots. And, and I felt that we were in the same position. So I, I reached out to Baba. I left on good terms with Baba. And I just put out a feeler and said, hey, look, if I would like to come back, could I? And Baba said, absolutely, we'd love to have you back. So I asked for a meeting with Eric, and I went to Eric, and I said, look, dude, I got about a year and a half. I signed this three years. I'm about halfway through this contract, and it's obvious you're doing nothing with us. You have no plans for me, no plans for this tag team. It's all become about Hogan and Hogan's buddies. Let me out of my deal. I can go back to Japan. I'll be on the other side of the world. The fans in America will not see me. I'm no threat to you. I've got an opportunity to go back and work there. And uh, I feel like they'll use me and, and push me and, and, and do some stuff with me. And he wouldn't let me out of the deal. Well, I was gone either way. Either he lets me out of my last year and a half or I'm walking. And I didn't tell him that. Mm-hmm. But when he played hardball with me and he said, no, you're going to finish out your contract, uh, I've called Baba and said, listen, I'm ready. Let's go. So just a few days later, I was on a plane back to Tokyo for the next tour for all Japan. And I called Marcus, and I told Marcus, and I said, I owe it to you to let you know you're my friend, you're my brother, you're my partner, but I'm done, I'm heading back to Tokyo, I'm going back to work for All Japan, and uh, you can tell them you don't know nothing, that you're as confused and, you know, blindsided by this as they are. And uh, I got some threatening letters and some threatening phone calls, uh, but I ignored them, I figured they'll go away if I just ignore them. Uh, Bob got a few threatening letters and I told him the same thing. I said, just ignore him. Don't go away. I don't mean anything to them. And so they, they eventually went away and left me alone and I was back in Japan. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, at that time, they probably had everything going on. It was almost like they were probably just worried. That the, I guess they must have been worried the thought that anyone was going to WWE at the time might have bothered them. But that's, yeah, that's wild, man. Because I remember even as a young fan, <coughs> excuse me, as a young fan watching, um, I think it was a WCW Saturday Night episode. And, you know, I wasn't on the internet or anything back then. But I just remember thought, you know, it was going to be like Randy Savage versus Steve Austin. And I was so excited to see this match because I was a fan of both of them. And I thought I was going to you know like Savage beat him in a minute and I'm like what was that about you know it was no story it was just he came out and beat him in a minute and that was the end of it I was like wow this makes no sense yeah yeah to, to say they mishandled him would be a, a great understatement yeah it worked out well for Steve I guess so yeah it did <laughs> so now you end up in WWE and I was listening to um uh, some stuff with Bruce Pritchard before this. And Bruce talked about he was high on you. Jim Ross was high on you. And uh, Jim Cornette were all very high on you. Vince, uh, it wasn't that he wasn't high on you the way he said it, but he wasn't sure about the mask. How did you get to WWE? And what was your, uh, how was it dealing with Vince? What, what vibe did you get for him? Well, um, I had, I'd gone up and worked for Vince in the early 90s gone out on the road for several weeks. Uh, Rick Martell was hurt. They took him off the road, so I went up and worked several weeks with him and uh, had an opportunity. I could have gone to work for Vince then, but I didn't want to give up my Japan deal. Japan was very important to me throughout my entire career. It's a highlight of my career working there. And uh, 
So I didn't want to give that up, but here I am now in, in, in 97, and um, uh, JR reached out to me, Jim Cornette reached out to me, Bruce did, and um, so I went up and they flew me up and I met with Vince, and uh, Vince wanted me to work there. He was, you know, he was excited about it. His only hesitancy, uh, the only, you know, thing that he thought was like you mentioned, he, he didn't know if a man's character could really get over with the WWF fan base. And uh, I said, Vince, it did. I said, it's gotten over everywhere else I've been. I don't know why this fan base would be any different. They're wrestling fans. And um, so I, I was I was convinced I could do well there. And uh, so he saw early on the perception I was getting night after night and the TV the first couple of times. And uh, it was over with the fans. And so that's when he decided that uh, he would pair me up with Brett and we would do that American-Canadian angle. And we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it seemed like the timing was really good because Brett was a, such a hot heel at that point, and it was this uh, very strong uh, Canada versus U.S. feeling among the uh, <clears throat> you know the fans back then. It seemed like so. It seemed like it was a good time for you to get in that. It was. Uh, it was. It was a great time. Um, you know, I mean, right off the bat, after just a, a few weeks of being in the company, I'm paired up with the uh, you know with the guy that's wearing the belt, uh, sort of the face of the company, the top heel in the company, and. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, um, it didn't last as long as I hoped or as they hoped. But, uh, man, I, before I got there, I was just, I was beat up. My body was, I'll never forget when I um, I left that meeting with Vince. And um, with a three-year deal in hand, they offered it to me. And I said, well, Vince, I need to go back home and talk with my wife and, and have my attorney look this over. Um, but I feel good about it. I'll let you know within 48 hours. And he said, okay. And I remember getting home, and, and I, I had some major, major injuries. And I'd already had surgeries, and I was just struggling to stay healthy. And I told my wife, I said, I think, my wife at the time, I said, I think I'm going to do it. I said, but there is no way that I'll be able to, to fulfill the three years on this thing. My body was rapidly failing me, and I had a bad, bad knee that, that has just been replaced three times. I had a tricep that had ripped off the bone, and had to be reattached three times. So I knew going in I was damaged goods. Uh, I just didn't know how long I was going to make it. Right. But I knew, I, I knew I was on borrowed time. And unfortunately, it didn't take long and the injuries just caught up to me. Now, you know, I want to ask you um, one thing. I mean, I heard you very honest about your career where you talked about you had, uh, like a lot of wrestlers, struggled with pills and stuff at the time. You know, I heard this with other wrestlers, like Shawn Michaels, who's very open about it. And Shawn wasn't the easiest guy to be around. Uh, he was very honest about. But even, like, you talking about your, like, issues with this stuff and past interviews and stuff, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about you. It's always constantly been, Dell was a great guy, great to work with, a lot of fun. Was it just more like a situation where your body was so beat up that, you know, that was mostly the issues? Oh, that was totally 100% the issue. And um, I uh, I think I hid my addiction very well. Mm. My addiction didn't start after I got out of the business. It had already started. You know, I was, dude, I was living off pain pills. I mean, I mm. I had gotten to the point uh, where at my worst, I was taking 100 to 120 percent a day. I would take 15 or 20 at a time. And, um, and then you couple in the muscle relaxers, the Xanax, the Halcyon, the sleeping pills. And I was just, I was having to do that. I, I took a couple one night before match to get through because I had an injury. And just a few short years later, you know, that too 
turned into 20 at a time. And uh, it just grew out of hand. But, I, uh, you know, no one that I worked with was aware that I was, uh, you know, they knew that I took pills. We all did. Mm-hmm. But none of, them, none of them was aware that the issue was as bad as what it was. But, yeah, I mean, I got along with everybody I worked with. I was there to do what I was paid to do and paid a lot of money to do and um, tried to be a professional about it. But I think I, I hid that addiction very well. Yeah, almost like a blessing and a curse at the same time, right? Like you were able to do your job and you were able to function, but unfortunately nobody could probably see the issues to give you a hand or help you because you were so good probably at, you know, not hiding it and it didn't, you know, affect your job probably. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that's a good assessment. <clears throat> now I want to ask you, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Dale, a couple of names here that you worked with. Uh, Bret Hart, how was he to work with? I enjoy working with Bret. Bret, so like I said about Bagwell, he's a pro's pro. And uh, working with Brett was was very, it felt familiar to me. The very first time I got in the ring with Brett, I think, was Pittsburgh uh, on a Monday Night Raw. And it felt very familiar. And the reason it did, it was Brett worked the way I did, sort of snug, not stiff, but snug. And uh, it just felt like I was working an all-Japan match. It was, um, Brett was, you know, took his time. He was methodical. He didn't rush things. Uh, he could speed it up when he needed to and slow it down when we needed to. So working with Brent was easy. It was a very smooth transition. Uh, one uh, other name I'll ask you too about, uh, well, two other names. Uh, Vader, how, how was he to work with? I think you teamed up with him a few times and stuff. I did, and I, I, I worked a singles match against him in, in, for Vince as well. I don't know who I was talking to the other day. I was doing a podcast with someone. But I'll tell you what I told them. Um, Vader was in WCW when I was in WCW, mm-hmm. and I had a match with Vader one night. And... Um, the Vader in WCW was was a different Vader in WWF. When I got to WWF, he was no longer the same character. He, he got a monster push in WCW, and he was the monster that ate everybody up and destroyed everybody. Well, when he got to WWF, they used him differently, and he was he wasn't that you know that monster bad guy heel that just crushed everybody. It had to do a few jobs for some people and. For some people that weren't as big as him, and, 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 it, and it bothered his ego. And from a confidence standpoint, he's a great guy. I got along with Leon. We traveled on the road together. We spent a lot of time together. But Leon in WCW was a different Leon in WWF. Makes a lot of sense. Like, I'm just thinking back as, as a fan watching it. Like, the matches he had in WCW, especially like with Mick Foley, he looked... And obviously, he's probably here with Mick, too. He was beating the hell out of people sometimes. There was definitely more a physical Vader in WCW, it felt. Yeah, it was. And, and he just, you know, himself, he was just in a different place. I don't don't think he was very happy with where he was at in WWF. Uh, but he was being paid big money and, and you know, so I think he just sort of rolled with the flow. Now, one other name I want to ask you as we're recording this. Uh, Road Warrior Animal unfortunately passed away uh, yesterday. Um, I just want your thoughts. Have you worked with Road Warriors, uh, Animal and Hawk? And uh, if so, how are they? Never worked with them in the ring. I, I traveled with them when we were, in, we were in the WWF together. I spent a lot of time with those guys on the road, uh, me and Mike and, and, and Joe traveling. Good men, good guys. Um, you know, obviously what they did in the ring speaks for itself. They changed the business in so many ways. But out of the ring, um, they were good guys. They were down-earth guys. Uh, they were approachable guys to people that saw them on TV and saw them in the ring. They were probably scared to death of them, but they were guys that fans could approach. 
and uh, they were very approachable and uh, just good men. And it's, it's just hard to believe that they're both gone. I, I had just spoke to Joe uh, last week on his birthday. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it's just hard to believe that now they're both gone way too soon, man. Way too soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge fans of them growing up, man. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about before I was going to ask you about this, uh, you have a podcast you're doing right now too. I want to ask you about that, but, um, well, actually, I'll ask you about that first because I'm having a brain fart here. Um, you have something on, I want to say it's like on Facebook Live, Unmasking the Truth. Uh, how did that come about? What is that about? Tell us Tell us about it. Like most guys in the business, I've, I've done hundreds of podcasts, and I did one about two years ago with a guy named Avi Klein, and uh, I was just impressed with Avi. Um, just in, in the way he conducted himself, I've never laid eyes on Avi, never met. We talked a few times on the phone just to set up that particular podcast that uh, that I did for him. And I don't know, here four or five months ago, he reached out to me with this idea. And I had other people reach out to me about a podcast. And um, I just never felt right about it. I never felt good about it. Uh, really, you know, just sort of hesitant to get involved in it. I felt like everybody in the world got a podcast. Why do I need to do one? <laughs> um, but when Avi approached me, and I was determined that I'm more than just a professional wrestler. And I was determined that if I ever did a podcast, that it was going to be not pro wrestling. We talk about pro wrestling. Obviously, we do. It's a huge part of my life. I've been associated with that business for over 30 years. But I love sports. I love current events. I love politics. And so, you know, the one thing that Audie and I both agreed on is that this would be a podcast that would occasionally talk about wrestling, but it wasn't going to be wrestling-centered. I wanted to be centered around other things. So... I guess now we've been going for not quite three months. We're on Facebook Live, my Facebook page, Del Wilts, or Avi Klein's Facebook page. Every Sunday night at 8 o'clock, it's called Unmasking the Truth. And, uh, man, it's been great. Uh, the response has been unbelievable. It's been more than I ever imagined, and we're growing like crazy. And there are several other guys that are um, also co-host podcasts with Avi like I do. It's under the umbrella of Wrestling With Anything But Podcast. And um, so I invite folks to listen. This uh, right now with the election right around the corner, a very, very important thing for this country, regardless of what side you come down on, regardless of what candidate you support. This is a big election. It's a big deal. So right now our podcasts are really focused about the election, and we talk about the election for the next few weeks leading up to the election. But we also talk about wrestling. We play fun games, and we have a segment every Sunday where we talk about all Japan pro wrestling. Uh, we're going to have a segment on Wahoo in a couple of weeks. So we still contribute to wrestling, but it's not just typical or totally wrestling sim. That's awesome, man. Um, actually, you reminded me what I want to talk about uh, was uh, the last question. You seem like a very patriotic guy, um, which is really ironic. That was your character, but you also seem like a very patriotic guy. Uh, how did uh, the patriot gimmick even come up? How did this happen? Well, I had nothing to do with it. I'd love to take credit for it, but I can't. Uh, when I got the call about Global, um, and it took a while for Global to materialize and, and come together. They were having some funding issues initially, but this idea was, was, was there for months and months, and it had been brewing. I knew that whatever it happened, if it did happen, they were very, um, you know, uh, they made it very clear to me they wanted me to be a part of it. So when finally Global was going to happen and we were going to do our first TV taping in Dallas, Texas at the auditorium, 
I flew out with my trooper gear. Nobody had told me different. I fully expected to go out and work as a trooper. And all the talent stayed at the same hotel. We stayed at a roadway in there near the sportatorium. And the day we were going to do our very first taping, literally just a few hours before we left to go to the building, Joe Petticino called me and he said, I need you to walk over to my room. He said, Bonnie's in here. And B, me and Bonnie and Bill need to talk to you about something. So I walk in the room and Bonnie literally pulls out this paper grocery bag, those brown grocery bags. Mm -hmm. And she unrolled it and she reached in and pulled out a red, white, and blue mask, red, white, and blue kites, red, white, and blue trunks. And then Bill and Joe laid out the idea to me about the Patriot. And it was based on the fact that at that time, the Persian Gulf War was, was going on. Our, right. our troops had been sent to Kuwait to liberate Kuwait from what Iraq had gone in and invaded and occupied Kuwait. So patriotism was at really a high level. And they said, look, we feel like we can take advantage of where patriotism is right now. And the idea is for this character called the Patriot. Here's what he's going to wear. Here's the gear. And we think you're the guy that can do it. And it changed my career. And um, that very first night when I walked down the aisle at the Sportatorium, those fans had never seen that character. But when I, I walked down the aisle, the building erupted. And I knew right away we were on to something good. Yeah, and I'll say this before we finish up. One thing I definitely liked about you, Dell, was, you know, you weren't necessarily like maybe a classic pro, but you could cut up a fired up promo. Like when you started talking about like, you know, coming to towns and, you know, there's Patriot everywhere in your town. Like you could feel it. You got very emotional. You were very good at getting fired up. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it wasn't just a gimmick for me. It's who I am. I am madly in love with the country I live in. I think it's the greatest country that's ever existed. And it's not a perfect country, but I love it. And if I had to, I'd die for it. My son served four years in the military. I never did. But I love this country. And uh, so that wasn't a stretch for me. It, it was true to, true to my heart. I still love this great nation. Is there anything else you want to promote besides Unmasking the Truth? Anything else you want to talk about where people can find well, you? Well, you can, you can go to my website, DellThePatriotWilks.com. And Dell is D-E-L, DellThePatriotWilks.com. And you can buy photo, you can buy eight by tens there. You can buy cards. You can also get our DVD, my docu documentary that came out several years ago, The Man Behind the Mask, or uh, I think that's what it is. I, I can't remember the name of it. But the documentary can be purchased there. You can buy masks. You can buy t-shirts. You can also buy eight by ten photos, cards, posters, and things of that nature. So it's bellthepatriotwilts.com. Awesome. We'll put that out on Twitter when the interview gets released too. So we'll direct And also you can, you can, through social media, on my Facebook page, Del Wilts, and on Twitter, at Del Wilts, all caps, D-E-L-W-I-L-K-E-S. Awesome. Del, thank you so much. This was an absolute pleasure. You know, I, I get a lot of wrestlers out here. You're a very genuine guy. I can feel that. I, I really enjoyed talking to you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. I appreciate it very much. No, no problem. All right. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. can do most anything you want to We still have the freedom of the press You can wear your hair long and shaggy And it makes no difference how you want to dress There's a better place to live, maybe I'll dream it there's a better place to live, I ain't seen it So why run your country in the ground?
there's a better place to live It ain't been found A lot of good men died across the sea To give us what we've got and keep us free There's a better place to live, maybe I'll dream it There's a better place to live, I ain't seen it you want to We still have the freedom of the press You can wear your hair long and shaggy And it makes no difference how you want to dress There's a better place to live Maybe I'll dream it There's a better place to live I ain't seen it So why run your country in the ground? There's a better place to live, it ain't been found. A lot of good men died across the sea To give us what we've got and keep us free. There's a better place to live, maybe I'll dream it. If there's a better place to live, I ain't seen it There's a better place to live I ain't seen it Welcome back for another week of the 531 where we take our top five list on a particular subject, vote it down to a top three, and then debate that top three down to a top one. And this week, if Conrad listened to our podcast, he would be popping huge because we are talking belt designs. And Dave, do you think it'd be fair to say that to some degree, if you're a wrestling fan, you're a, you're a belt mark to some degree, whether you're a huge fan of the belts or you're just kind of, you like a couple of designs. It's one of the main things in wrestling. I would say for the most part, yes, that's true. I'm probably an exception to that rule. I'm not a huge belt guy. Either. I'm not a belt nerd. There are a couple of belts I like. If you like prod me, I'll go, oh, yeah, that's got some nostalgia. I remember that. But I'm more, it's funny. I am a nerd when it comes to the idea of holding a championship, even though, like, you know, it's a, predetermined sport obviously you know they know i still put i'm a mark for that i'm like nah man we gotta go with roman reigns over paul horndorf he had the fucking belt that means something brother but as far as the design i'm in the minority i just struggle with this list it's not my thing <laughs> i like Sorry, that Conrad. i like that you like the fake championship but the real belt that represents it you're like nah i'm <laughs> not a mark for that like i'm a mark you for the it. idea right but I mean, when you do put the title on somebody, you're almost signifying that that's your top guy. That's the guy that you're behind. Yeah. And I could see where the idea of a belt would get you. Now, Tim Hartford yeah. brought us the first list, and he's got the IWGP belt, the NXT tag belt, 
the WWE Undisputed title, the Winged Eagle belt, classic WWE championship, and the classic IC belt with the white strap. Now, that different that differentiation is going to become important a couple lists down the road. Yeah. Interesting you put the NXT tag belts in there. I don't think we're going to see a lot of those belts pop up, but I like it. And again, me not so much thinking of like the actual physical belt. I start thinking about the great matches like, you know, the Revival had with American Alpha and DIY. That's what I think of. Back when the Authors of Pain were good, too. Yeah. Now, who do you got for your first list? I got Randy Osga hitting me with the Winged Eagle, Big Gold, the classic IC belt with the white strap, the Undisputed title, and the Smoking Skull belt. Okay, those are all good picks. Now, here's the thing, too. I looked in, and I'm not picking on Randy with this, too. Well, although I'm not necessarily a belt mark, you know what I don't like? The Smoking Skull belt. You know what I don't like? The Brahma Bull belt. You know what else I don't like? Spinner belt. I like classic old school straight up belt. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure there's got to be a certain section of fans that are really behind those belts that were identified with certain characters. Of all those belts, I think the spinner belt is the hardest to take, even though it's the funniest idea. As far as a championship, like Bruno San Martino didn't break his fucking neck to make the spinner belt a possibility down the road. Now, Mike... Mike Flynn brought us a list. He's got the big gold belt, the winged eagle belt, the IC title, but with the black strap that Macho Man had. He's got the IWGP title and the WWF tag titles that Demolition had. So I think we're going to see a common theme that big gold and winged eagle are going to be on. Oh, yeah. I'd be surprised if they're not on every list. Like, they got to be on the next list you have, right? Well, let's see. We got AJ. Of course, he's going to be the guy that's different. He's got the NWA TV title with the red strap. That's Ooh, a that's a good one. That's a good one. He's got the FTW belt. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hold on. I got a button for that. I thought that was crickets, but close <laughs> enough. <laughs> All right. We got the NWA Golden Globe belt. Okay. Uh, big, big gold. And then he's got NXT UK. Classy as a motherfucker. I got to say, of the newer belts, of the newer WWE belts, that UK belt is something else. Now, I'm going to bring you my list next because it's the last list I have. Okay. But I got the IWGP. I got the Winged Eagle. I got the Big Gold belt. I had the AEW title, but I crossed it out, and I put the NWA TV title with the red strap because when you brought that up, I was like, ooh, shit, I got to have that on there. Chris Zauha would love that. And the NWA title that Nick Aldis has right now, the 10 pounds of gold, sweet Charlotte, just seeing the way he conducts himself as a champ and has that belt, it just has such an air of legitimacy, and it almost feels like he's bringing wrestling from a previous era into the present. Now, Joey, um, before we go further with this, we can edit this. I don't really care. Do you have a list from Scott? I do not have a list from Scott. Yeah, I don't think he got us one. I want to double check though. But I'm going through a bunch of shit right now. That's fine. We kind of we we took all these lists a couple weeks ago, and it's like a couple we got more responses on, and then a couple hey, we got less. I just found this. So we're good. Oh wow! 
I know. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, I got a list of Scott here. He's got this one. They're going to shock you. The first two one anyway. Big gold belt, winged eagle, and this is one where Scott was a little different. Lucha Underground Gift of the God Championship. Ooh, that uh, was a good concept for a title, definitely. Yeah, WWF Intercontinental Championship, Classic One, IWGP Heavyweight Championship, and an honorable mention because it wasn't a real championship, the Million Dollar Belt. That's a that's a good list. I will finish off, and I guess I got Big Gold, I got Wing Eagle, I got the TV title with the red strap, and I wasn't sure what you really call it. Well, hold on, I actually have the white uh, Intercontinental Belt, but the belt I wasn't sure about, but the one Nick Aldis has, is that Charlotte, that 10 pounds of gold, because that's on my list. That's what I called it. You could call it the current NWA title. I believe it's the classic NWA title. He's been referring to it as the 10 pounds of gold, sweet Charlotte. So I've kind of gone with that iteration of it. You know what I call it? I call it the belt of the real world champion, Nick Aldis. Ooh, that's a good title. Now, Big Gold and Winged Eagle are obviously going on. Final two, no doubt. IWGP Um, was on a ton of lists. Yeah. So with that classic IC white strap. So let's put it up between the IWGP heavyweight title and the classic IC with the white strap. Now, this is almost a tale of two belts because IWGP would obviously have gained popularity within the last couple of years, and that's why it'd be in the forefront of all our minds. But that classic IC strap calls back to a time when we were like early fans. And... It's got that more like sentimental time frame. So I, as much as I like the IWGP belt, I feel like the classic IC should go on. Okay. I was going to put the IWGP to the next level because I thought, well, it's a little more different than the other belt. And at the end of the day, it's a very prestigious belt that is recognized as a world championship. That's a pretty good argument. Now you're making that choice for the classic IC a little tougher. Let's make it a little international. Let's make it a little. Let's have IWGP. It doesn't matter anyway because whoever's moving on in this case is getting fucking bounced. <laughs> we got the big gold belt up against the winged eagle belt up against yeah. the IWGP belt, and yeah. the top. See you, you gotta go. <laughs> you think that's the well? Yeah, that's got to be kind of the first one to go. It got. I mean, you just listen to these people that either winged eagle or big gold. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, and this All is right. like one part of my childhood fighting another part of my childhood because just seeing Ric Flair with that big gold belt for so long and the the impact that it made when he brought it from WCW to WWE almost unseen in those times. But the Winged well, Eagle belt was like the champion of the company that I watched the most for the longest amount of time. So that has a lot of sentimental value in a way too. Let's put it this way. Let's look at it from an unbiased point of view. That wing eagle belt, right? It was the belt, okay, Hulk Hogan. It was the belt of the 1980s. It is the belt that most people saw at wrestling's biggest boom period other than the Attitude Era, right? It's the most recognizable belt. And it was in the beginning of the Attitude Era, too, I want to say. Now, that being said, this is an argument about belt, all right? This isn't necessarily about the prestige necessarily completely. This is also about the presentation and the look of a belt. And to me, unless I'm at a belt mark, if you size it up, there ain't a better looking belt in the world than Big Gold. I'll put that belt up against any belt in boxing, UFC, anything. I'm a believer in the Big Gold. 
And it's one of those belts that it's almost showy because it's obviously the big gold belt. But yeah. of the belts that they've come out with in recent times, it's almost a, not basic, but a little less involved than other belts. You know, like there's not as much busyness going on on the front of it. It's just a I big old it. slab of gold. And you know what that music means, Dave? It means the big gold took the took the gold this week. Yeah, I'm ready to and as you guys know, we are continuing to kick ass on the All Entertainment, All Everything Entertainment Podcast Network. And come back next week to join us again, guys. Thank you very much. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 